The Hot 4 podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Welcome to another sesh on the Hot 4 podcast. So last week's intro was recorded at the pub. Unfortunately, this week I'm back in my house, but it has just gone nine o'clock on a Wednesday. So it would be a little bit irresponsible of me to be down the pub right now. Now, the studios amongst you might have noticed that last week's intro started with me saying that, well, that was shit. (laughs) And the reason being was I recorded this whole intro about social media in light of everything that's been happening in craft beer conversations. I thought it was really profound, but it could have just been the beer talking probably was the beer talking but there's still some validity in what i said because social media does play a huge role in beer conversations especially now that lots of those conversations have moved out of the pub or beer festivals or trade events and have moved online recently if you're in the twitter sphere or on facebook or wherever it is on social media you'll have no doubt come across conversations regarding toxic workplaces sexism the UK CBF, the pylons, and conversations about influencers. And actually, it was a little flurry of activity around the conversation of beer influencers that led me to write an article for the CBIT Independent Brewer magazine. So I'm going to read that to you. If you've not read it, it is available to read online on issue, but I'm going to read it out here because it'll hopefully put in context uh, some of today's episode and how it came about. So the article says... The backlash against influencers being swift and harsh, but should we dismiss them all entirely as freebie-hungry freeloaders? Nick Law from creative agency Hot Forward suggests not. Remember when you wouldn't give a castle mine forex for anything else? Or would answer the phone with the longest weather you could possibly muster before passing out. Global beverage companies have undoubtedly spent millions on advertising campaigns to differentiate the same yellow fizz with clever slogans that refresh the places that other strap lines don't reach. But now in the digital age, anyone with a smartphone can grow a global audience. These people are known as influencers. Ask a brewer their opinion of influencers and I'm sure they'll spit out their response like a heavily oxidised Nipah. But before you unceremoniously drain poor influencers altogether, it's worth considering what an influencer actually is. 
The word influencer carries many misconceptions and has become a catch-all, often derogatory phrase. However, to be an influencer in the truest sense is to be someone who affects or changes the way other people behave. People who are actually influential in the world of beer often create meaningful content and are usually extremely knowledgeable about their subject, whether it's taking professional photographs that showcase a beer in the best light, a certified sommelier or cicerone exploring the combination of food pairings, or a broadcaster speaking passionately into a microphone or down a camera lens about the science of dry hopping. The problem is a lot of brewers associate the word influencer with someone who's just trying to score free beer. But there's a lot to be gained by working with people who are actually influential. Working with any influencer needs to be a relationship that offers an equal exchange of value, integrity and transparency behind the motives of both parties. Get it right and you have a recipe for success. Using carefully selected influencers can be a useful marketing tool on a new release, says wildcard breweries Jaeger Wise, both a brewer and a broadcaster. We have often swapped photography for beer. I can take a photo on my phone, but if a professional photographer wants to take a photo of our beer with good light, etc., that does have monetary value. Someone even offered to make us a full TV advert in exchange for beer, which ended up on the telly. Similarly, during the first lockdown, Devon's Utopian Brewing quickly gained widespread popularity by sending out care packages to influencers, making it clear that there was no obligation other than to enjoy the beer. The effect was immediate. Content creators quickly took to their social accounts to discuss the brewery and rave about its quality pilsners. Before you could say, go to the pub, but don't go to the pub, bottle shops across the United Kingdom were stocking Utopian's beers. As Managing Director Richard Archer explained on the Hot 4 podcast, uh, the coverage we got off the back of it, if you costed it up as a marketing campaign to try and pay for it as direct marketing, would have cost us a lot more than the actual beer. We needed to energise our web shop and get people to come directly to the brewery. And if we were going to do that, we needed people to know about the brewery. So we just needed some signposts, really, people to point towards that space. It's evident that Utopian Brewing, with the input from experienced marketing manager Ruth Mitchell, who's now moved on to Elusive Brewing, had the right combination of connecting the right voices with the right beer. By building meaningful relationships with the right influencers, you'll unlock the potential to expose your brand to a new audience, pick up trade customers through personal recommendations, and at very least, open yourself up to objective feedback and sound advice from individuals who know marketing and taste lots of good beer, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Social media and content marketing will continue to play a significant role in beer marketing and brand awareness, even more so now our lives have become more digitized. I always suggest working with social media and content producers for product launches and feedback on BSA's craft beer channels, Johnny Garrett. It's a vital part of gaining awareness and momentum that all breweries should look at for each announcement. Often the follower count isn't the most important thing. It's who follows them, what their reputation is, where they live. The bottom line is this. Influencers are one of the many tools in a brewer's toolbox to help lubricate sales friction and crack open new customers, waiting to discover the best beers they've never had. It's inevitable that you'll be contacted by the five follower freeloaders, the self-proclaiming egomaniacs and the have-a-go beer boys, 
But if all it takes to gain some traction is extending an invitation to an event, taking a genuine interest in a content creator's platform, and occasionally sending out a four-pack by the way of appreciation, that's a small price to pay for the brand recognition you may get in return. So that was the article that I wrote for the CBIT Independent Brewer Magazine. And off the back of that article, a brewery called Bishop Nick Brewery, a sixth generation family brewer of real ale based in Braintree, Essex, contacted me uh, to ask some follow-up questions and clarify. And we got into conversation over Instagram. And given that the brewery is both my namesake and had a sort of religious connection with the name, I'm not saying that I'm a bishop or anything, uh, just to clarify that, as well as, you know, having a long history, I thought it'd be really cool to get them on the show. And, I, and I'm glad we did, actually, because um, we discussed having a family brewery and leaving a legacy and being part of a lineage of family brewers for generations. We talk about the sale of Ridley's to Green King, which is uh, the brewery which Bishop Nick has spawned from since. And we talk about underrepresented beers and brewers in the world of craft beer. And that's something I related to from my time at Sheffield Brewery Company. Many breweries simply get overlooked because they're not the hip brewery under some real way out somewhere, smashing out hazy IPAs while juggling souring programs. There are some really good, solid beers, and having had this conversation both with Nielsen and Libby from Bishop Nick, both in the context of this interview and just over Instagram, they sent me some beers, and I'm telling you, they were absolutely fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because they read my article and then sent me some beers and all the rest of it. I genuinely wouldn't have discovered their beers had we not got into that conversation and had we not decided actually let's let's tell your story let's chat about your beers and let's actually use this platform to help shout about the breweries that aren't lining every bottle shop shelf in the uk and beyond what i'd like to actually get across is that there are loads of breweries out there and i i say this because i've experienced this myself there are lots of breweries out there making really spot on well-brewed beers and they don't get enough praise. They don't get shouted about enough. And from my point of view, now that I'm not busting a gut brewing beers every day and feeling underappreciated, and I'm not, I'm not saying every beer I brewed was the best beer in the world. They weren't. But some of them won awards and they were fantastic beers. But now I'm not brewing beers every day, And but I know what it's like to have a shoe on the other foot. From my perspective, at least, it to be able to champion these breweries and showcase them to a wider audience, directing to people's listening ears... It's just a real privilege and you never know, they may be the best brewery you'll never try. I'm keen to go off grid and discover beers that are underrepresented because if the pandemic's taught me anything about beer, it's easier to access them now from a wider range of breweries than ever before through the virtue of web shops and home delivery and all the rest of it. And who knows, you know, you, you might stumble upon your next favourite beer or brewer as a result. Before we chat to Nelian, owner and director of Bishop Nick, about the brewery, about the long legacy of Ridley's and how he's taking Bishop Nick forward to leave something for his family and future generations beyond, and the challenges that many brewers face, both due to COVID-19 and just by virtue of running that kind of business day in, day out. I hope you get a lot out of today's episode. I really enjoyed chatting to Nelian. 
So before we chat to Neilian Ridley, company director of Bishop Nick, about the brewery, the history of Ridley's and the legacy that he wants to leave for his family and future generations, and some of the many challenges that brewers face today, both due to COVID-19 and just by virtue of running of that kind of brewing business. Here's all necessary blurb. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website, hotforward.beer, to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding and creative media for breweries, bars, bottle shops and supply chain businesses. The Hot Four podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot Ford Podcast, I'm joined by Neely and Ridley, company director of Bishop Nick. Hello. Hi, Nick. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. It's um, nice to nice to meet you and listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Bill. Well, f- thanks for being on the show. I've uh, I've been quite intrigued to uh, to try your beer since you, you sent me some. Um, obviously, you know, being called Bishop Nick. Obviously, you know, it's nice having a namesake. And um, I don't you familiar with with my brewery and brand Emmanuel's. It's got a bit sort of a religious slant to it as well. So I was, I was really quite intrigued. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, first off, before we talk a little bit about the brewery, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and how you got into the brewing industry? Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, my family has been in brewing for many years. Um, uh, Ridley's Brewery were, were based uh, in Essex, um, a place called Hartford End. We were sort of the largest independent family brewery left in in Essex when we were bought or sold ourselves to Green King in right. 2005. Um, company been going for about 160 odd years. I was a sixth generation sort of family member to working to be working in the business um, um, and was rather saddened when it all came to an end. It was a decision that, that um, my generation weren't in favour of, but um, mm. those, um, those that uh, had the, um, you know, the sort of the decision that, power at the end of the day decided that um, it was time to bring the co- company to an end so we sold in 2005 I I then took some time out from the business um, and um, sort of looked at doing different things I tried teaching for a little while and amongst other other things and um, I sort of um, never felt totally happy with what I was doing I and, and I then got sort of called back into the industry my, basically my brother um, bought uh, back one of the old Ridley's pubs, we had about 90 pubs in Essex 
And um, he brought that back to run it. And um, people were coming into his, his pub all the time and asking, when are the Ridleys going to start brewing beer again? We miss your beer. And and he said to me, come on, I know you're not terribly happy with what you're doing. Why don't you try your hand at brewing? And I sort of, so, and I sort of went, really? I said, uh, you know, I, I'd, at Ridley's, I'd been part of the sort of marketing team and sort of management, but I mm. and I knew the brewing process, but I couldn't claim to have ever actually sort of put a recipe together or actually brewed the beer myself. Um, uh, it's, um, uh, but he said, no, come on, let's give it a go. Um, so we did, uh, and I did, and I went off and did a brewing course up in Sunderland uh, with Brew Lab um, yep. that runs sort of residential courses. Uh, I did a three-week residential course um, and sort of learned the rudiments of brewing up there. Um, I then was very lucky and fortunate enough to um, to be introduced to a small microbrewer in Essex who um, who was starting to sort of slow down his brewing. And he said to me, look, I've got a small brewery. I don't use it very often, but I'll show you how it works. Um, and I can help you put some recipes together and, um, and we can just try some, try some brews out and see, see how you get on. See if you enjoy it, see if you can make decent beer. And, um, and we did, and we spent about a year to two years just, just tinkering, playing trial brewing and, and selling what we were making through my brother's pub. Mm. So we were getting sort of genuine feedback. And, um, after about, um, two years or so, well, after about a year, we decided, yes, we, you know, we, we have felt confidence to go and go for it and to launch our new company. And then probably after about two years, the company launched, you know, it took a little while to get everything in place, you know, the names and the branding and everything. And, um, yeah, so we launched with three different ales, traditional ales, I must admit they were mostly based on old Ridley recipes. They mm. weren't exact copies, but that was the style of beer that I knew and grew up with and enjoyed brewing and people were asking for. So that's sort of what, what I decided to start making. And um, yeah, I, I was, as I say, very fortunate. It was a small four-barrel brewery. Um, we were brewing sort of once, sometimes twice a week. Um, and so Bishop Nick was was launched and created then. Um, uh the name Bishop Nick. Do you want me to? Yeah, uh, yeah. I was going to ask uh, where, where, yeah, where did that well, come from? And yeah, well, Bishop Nick, Bishop Nicholas Ridley is an old sort of um, ancestor of the Ridley family, um, and he was infamous um, for being one of the uh, Protestant bishops in the time of Queen Mary, Mary Tudor, when she came back to the throne, and he he made the the great mistake of. Um, of not recognising her as the rightful heir to the throne. He was supporting Lady Jane Grey um, and he was also a Protestant. She was a Catholic and basically he sort of fell foul of her and together along with Bishop Latimer and Archbishop Cranmer, they were um, burnt at the stake in Oxford in 1555. And um, the Ridley family uh, have sort of wanted to commemorate him in some way and in, in, in the early 70s they created a beer called Bishop Sale and they used Bishop Nicholas Ridley's um, head or image, art image as, as on their bottle beer labels and um, had that through the 70s and the 80s and um, when we were looking for a name we wanted to be able to use our history, our heritage of, of brewing because mm. that was sort of unique to us but we couldn't call ourselves Ridley's because Green King had bought the name um, so we sort of looked around and um, and with the help of um, our sort of designer and marketing sort of person we consulted, um, we decided to use Bishop Bishop Nick 
and call him Bishop Nick as opposed to Bishop Nicholas, the sort of a bit, you know, a bit, bit sort of a modern day parlance, a bit of sort of, you know, sort of shortening him from Nicholas to Nick. And um, so, yes, Bishop Nick was launched and um, and we named all of our beers sort of after him and his story. So you've got heresy. He was burnt at the stake for heresy. 1555 was the year he was he was burnt. We have another beer called Martyr and another one called Divine. Right. So we've we've had a bit of fun, you know, um, playing with that. So um, yeah, I say Bishop Nick uh, launched in well 2011, so um, nearly ten years ago. Now. Wow, gosh. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I'd love to chat a bit more about um, sort of the history of the brewery, but let's. I think it's time to crack open a beer. They've been like yeah. I said, they've, they've been sat looking yeah. at me. So I, I know which yeah. my go-to one would be. Um, but which one would you recommend out of the, the the four? To start with, yep, I would probably I'd probably start with the lager. Actually, I oh, think. interesting. Okay, I'm I'm happy to be led uh, by you. I um... <laughs> the reason I say start with the lager, I always sort of um, you know the lager is 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 probably the you know the the, um, the sort of most easy drinking, if you like, yep. less sort of challenging of the four. Um, and I, and I always sort of recommend people work their way up to the stronger flavoured sort of beer. So, um, but I mean, you know, I'm totally happy if you if you want to start with a different one. No, but, I'm, I'm happy to go with the lager. So um, while I crack this open, um, mm. why don't you tell us a little bit about brewing this and um, you know where the name came from and and sort of the process of, of yeah. brewing it. Well, I mean, the, the name of the lager is called Chilled. We um, we 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 sort of toyed with with the idea of what, what to call our sort of canned range, and um, and through sort of Libby, my wife, who does the marketing and um, and our sort of graphics designer that we work with, um, we came up with the idea of calling our range of beers can C A N apostrophe D. And we sort of took that theme on into the names of the beers themselves. Mm. And uh, we wanted to um, sort of um, call the name, the beers names that, um, that related to the actual product inside the can. Right. Um, so um, you'll see, we, we call some of the other beers um, sort of roasted and crazy, but the chilled was, was mainly to do obviously with, you know, most lagers are kept in the fridge and um, drunk cool. So um, chilled it, it became, um, yeah, lager. Well, it's the first lager we've ever brewed at Bishop Nick. Oh, and, right, okay. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it was the second brew that we did actually. The first brew didn't quite make the mark, um, um, and I, but um, this was the second brew, and um, yeah, it was a sort of a little bit of a leap of faith, I suppose. Um, you know, the, the brewer, myself, and my brewer again. He he's got sort of um, a number of years of brewing ales under his belt, but. Um, He'd never actually brewed a lager either, so um, we took um, we took a few different sort of lagers that we enjoyed, and as a sort of uh, a basis of what to sort of aim for um, taste wise, and we got a bit of advice from our hop suppliers at um, Charles Farham, and um, and we um, and we sort of um, went in with we wanted a lager that was you know um, going to be easy drinking, not too challenging, not too strong, but mm. strong enough. Um, and obviously, we needed to use a, a bottom fermenting yeast, a lager yeast, um, and um, and obviously the process of the fermentation, etc., takes takes much longer with with lagers. Um, and um, yeah, we were using obviously Pilsner malt, and we used um, German and Polish hops, you know, to make it as authentic a lager as we could. We used um, Pearl and Tetnang um, hops in this, and. Um, 
And yeah, I'm, I'm actually very pleased with the the results of it. I don't know what. what I, you... so I, I'm, yeah, it's not going to last long. Put it that way. It's um, it's got a lovely, nice bitterness to it. Yes, I mean, I you know, as I say, I I, I don't drink that, that much lager myself, but um, you know, we we've um, we 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 tried it out blind tasted and and sort of and sort of straight tasted and amongst lager drinkers and um uh, i've got to say they've all sort of been very complimentary about it and um i'm i'm, I'm pleased because it i was as i say a little bit wary about um brewing a lager as i said because i'd never done it before and you know and our, you know we could have got a good reputation for for our ales and things but um um yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm pleased with the result it's um you know it's a sort of fully filtered and carbonated um and um and as a kind of lager should be i mean yeah it's, it's got a really nice bitterness I, I like lagers that are a bit more bitter than um yeah quite soft you know um yeah so it's it, it, i mean it's it's well that was the with our first brew that we, we didn't use in the end um it was slightly under bittered compared to this and a little bit a little bit stronger a little bit sweeter and i i felt no you know lar- to me a, a nice lager is is sort of crisp and refreshing yeah and, um, just to have that yeah. little bit of bite to it well, I mean, there's nowhere to hide with them. I, I brewed a, um, a Keller beer, um, I say a few weeks ago now, it's probably about eight weeks ago now, and it sat in tank for six weeks. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it tasted great, but I'd over, I overcarbonated it. And so I tried putting it in can and it just went, I just couldn't get it in can. It was just like oh, foam. Just and it's, I mean, it's one thing to brew an ale where it's kind of like, all right, you might have wasted a week and some ingredients, but you know, it's not that long mm-hmm. really, but to have a tank mm-hmm. tied up for that length of time and to kind yeah, of think, yeah, yeah. oh, I can't wait to can this beer. And yeah. then to, to, I had to dump most of it. I got, I got, I got a keg out of it. <laughs> I was oh. gutting. So oh, yeah. when I you did your test brew, like how did that, how did that feel for you guys? What the test, well, the one yeah, that we yeah, didn't yeah. keep um, well, to be honest, I don't like throwing anything away. I mean, uh, my brewer sort of said, well, you know, it's, it's not bad, is it? I mean, we could sort of bottle it or do something with it. And we very nearly did, but I thought actually, I didn't want to compromise the end result. And, um, and so actually we, we, we just decided to, um, to dispose of it yeah. in the end. Um, as a, as a brewery owner, do you find that there's always that tension, um, between when, you, when you've, you know, you've got a beer that's not, quite hitting the mark that tension between our we throwing a load of money and time into this versus yeah but our you know reputation could be potentially damaged by a product that's not as we really wanted it to be and like how, how do you sort of differentiate between just being a, a craft beer nerd or a beer lover and and it you know and because most people to be honest with you can't like i think a lot of brewers probably find this hard to hear but i remember my business mentor said to me once um like 99 percent of people can't tell the difference between one beer and another you know so you've got that kind of element where there's a lot of people that aren't really you know crappy connoisseurs for want of a better word that wouldn't be able to tell versus like people like yourself and i where you know we we can tell um yeah so like how, how do you balance that up as a as a brewery owner um, well, it's, you know, I, I suppose, you know, you, we sort of err on the conservative side slightly. I mean, you know, we, 
we have a sort of core range of sort of four or five traditional ales. Um, and when we want to try and do something new, we bring out a sort of a limited edition. We brew one off, maybe twice perhaps, but, but generally once off. And um, and we, we've we got a sort of reputation now that people would like to, they want to try something new from us. Um, so you know you're going to sort of sell it, um, even if it's not quite necessarily quite there. But I think on the whole... We, we 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 use a sort of tr- fairly sort of tried and trusted formulas. I mean, I suppose the experimentation comes in using different hops sometimes, and we never we never go crazy with what with what we're producing. I suppose um, we never we never go overly bitter. We never sort of chuck sort of so much in that it that it could make it undrinkable or unbalanced. I mean, we're always you know we're trying to trying to brew something that ultimately you know, this is sort of commercial and is going to sell. Um, and if, and we've got to be sort of happy with it as well and happy to put our name on it. So, um, yeah, w- I mean, perhaps I should say we don't have a small pilot plant. You know, we've got a 20-barrel brewery now. And so I can, the smallest I can brew is about 12 barrels. So, you know, you're looking at 2,000 litres of beer that, if it's not right, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's got to go down the drain, which we did with the lager. We did with the first brew when we upscaled to our new brewery as well. It wasn't quite right. But after that, I've got to say we've been very lucky, sort of touch wood. You know, things have sort of worked well. I mean, to be honest, the canned range, we were, again, the whole range coming out of our comfort zone a little bit because mm. we were brewing, um, you know, craft, a sort of a craft beer, more of a craft beer range for cans where we were producing stronger beers, beers that designed to have more sort of flavor and impact on the taste um, when you move on to the other ones. And so they were, you know, pushing us out of our comfort zone to some extent. But, you know, the, the so that, you know, as I say, hence the lager was the second one we brewed. Um, but, you know, I was prepared to sort of take that hit financially um, because I wanted, I wanted the product to be, to be, to be right. And I, and even if we, I didn't want to use the product that we discarded because although we could have done, it just would have always felt like a compromise in my eyes. And um, and so thankfully, you know, we're able to, to make that decision. I'm sure on a, some other breweries would say, oh, well, well, let's just use it. And, you know, but I, I don't think it's worth it. You know? Yeah, I, I knew one brewer that just hated with a deep passion and loathing anyone that threw beer away. You know, yeah. like re- really, really hated it. And it's yeah. even if the beer was like wasn't great, you know, it's just like you can't throw beer away. Beer, you know, it's just like yeah. I don't want to drink. Well, it. I'm sure we would have had lots of people knocking on the door, going, "Well, you can't chuck that away. I'll have it." You know, we'll yeah, buy it. yeah, yeah. I mean, just off the back of um, some of what you just said, I mean, do you think that craft um, brewers often focus far too much attention on like the, the fervent? few rather than the rest of the drinking population that aren't into craft beer when it comes to the types of beers they drink because you know you, you do see tend to see a lot on instagram and online and stuff um you know like the, the you know the maple syrup imperial yeah. stouts and all the rest of it and and so on and um yeah you know um some very straight down the line beer styles um you know, don't always get the attention and praise they deserve. I mean, th- this lager is lovely, um, mm. but you know, it's like I'm not sure I formulated that question very well. But like, no, what, no, no, what, what, no, what I, do you think I, about I, all that? No, I do, I do understand. I mean, that's, um, 
I, I think the short answer is yes. I, I, I mean, you know, we we very much um, have brewed beer for primarily for for pub pub drinking to start with. Yep. You know, traditional ales. That's what we were sort of known for, or, or up until this year, that's what we were brewing. We would bottle a certain proportion of what we brewed, but ultimately, it was all designed. Most it was all every beer we brewed was designed to go into a barrel, a firkin, or a pin, and, and be sold at a pub. Um, and in pubs, pubs don't necessarily want anything too challenging and too you know or too strong i mean you know most people have got to where we we are uh, you know drive to the drive out to a pub they're gonna have a few they, they didn't want anything sort of and and we we didn't do key keg or craft keg or anything like that um so um primarily majority of what we brew is is focused what i consider on a more sort of you know a more mainstream audience mm. um but we also felt that even that was our reputation we still felt that we could also brew sort of beers that were more of a sort of a niche segment or certainly sort of age-wise you know the craft beer can beer which is why we launched our our, our range of cans but bishop nick um unlike a lot of the craft beer can can breweries that set themselves up just for craft beer into cans mm. and look at their range and it is all sort of canned beers and it is all sort of generally quite strong beers heavily sort of flavored they don't they don't produce beer for you know perhaps for the sort of you know the everyday sort of drinking thing but then they don't i suppose they don't want to i mean ultimately maybe they're they're trying to differentiate or put themselves you know to be different although now there's so many small craft beer brewers that um you could argue that you know craft beer in a can is coming you know fairly sort of um almost sort of every day now i mean you yeah. know the success of brew dog um and beaver town and, and the fact that you know in camden they've all sort of been taken over by big breweries or got big money behind them they're all now widely available in supermarkets and and also at a reduced price as well now you know the, the premium side of things and Craft, craft beer but then that's maybe driven those consumers into going to small independent shops now where they are finding you know small brewers beers and cans and such um but yes no i mean you know in short i suppose there are probably not many many sort of craft beer brewers that would want to brew a traditional sort of best bitter or sort of traditional premium ale it's not not in their interest to do that because they probably don't enjoy drinking those products that much themselves. I, 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 you know, at the end of the day, for me, you know, like probably like most brewers, you know, you 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 tend to end up brewing beers that, that you like to drink yourself. Yeah. Having said that, you know, uh, of this canned range, um, um, you know, I'm, you know, yes, I do like American IPAs, and I do tend to drink them in the summer months from a, you know in a can. They're cool, and I do like that style. Lagers, I don't drink very much, but I've actually quite enjoyed our lager and would have that a few times. The the stout is probably not not my sort of thing generally, um, and perhaps nor nor the red ale particularly. But you know, we needed to have a range, and we recognised that those were sort of you know. A, sort of a classic styles of sort of craft beer so we felt it was important to produce them for um, 
you know, for the audience. Yeah. Now it's uh, uh, it's funny you mentioned the red ale because that's the one I would have chosen. It's the one I'll, I'll go ah, for, for next, right. I think. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's interesting you say that because I remember when I first started brewing, um, you know, the, the beer, the, pretty much the, the sort of types of beers that I've got in front of me were the, the kind of beers that I was putting out, you know, like a, American Pale Ales, West Coast IPAs, a stout that's kind of, I'm, like, I used to do like a, a hazelnut coffee stout or a smoked yeah. porter where, you know, it'd be, it'd be sufficiently different to be sort of not just a porter or not just stout, but, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a bit like you've got your, your milk coffee stout. Um, yeah. But it wasn't like so wild. Whereas, you know, now it's kind of like, in some ways, the, they're much harder to sell those kind of classic styles because to, to a certain segment of the market we're talking because it, you know it, it's it, it's kind of like flavors are getting so extreme don't get me wrong i, I love really flavorful beers and some of these crazy beers but they, they get you so extreme that you know it, it's when you see beers that are like fruited lactose smoothies that explode i'm just kind of like i'm sure mm. something's gonna miss here like what's you know what's wrong with just like those good honest classic style beers you know well i've got to say my brewer he's he's fairly sort of traditional a bit like me and um you know he he shakes his head when he sees some of the sort of concoctions that are that are made now and i i but i i, I don't know i mean if if you're entirely sort of focused on the craft beer world i suppose you know where do you go i mean you know it, it's 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 something that we discuss at the moment you know we feel we've got sort of four fairly um, you know sort of classic choices for the craft beer market but if we were to add to that range what what do we add and um you know, without perhaps having to go down the kind of crazy fruited this and that and everything. And I, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a great sort of saison, you know, sort of sour beer man myself. I, I, again, it's, um, it's, it's also a bit out of my comfort zone. Um, uh, you know, I mean, we could certainly produce a, a more of a session American pale ale. We do one already, but it's not in can, but, um, you know, Imperial stouts. And, but as you say, you know, they're, they're sort of they're, they're sort of nice to have for the range, but are you going to sort of shift the sort of volumes that you need to? Um, I, I don't know. It's it's a challenge. That I you know I think um, it, you know it's so competitive now. Um, well, that's yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I've been thinking about this recently with um, you know going into bottle shops. Um, you know, you, you, you so often see the, the same brewers. It's like the Premier League. I'm, I'm not into football, but I'll use the analogy. It's a bit like the Premier League. You know, you, you go in and you see, oh, it's that brewery and that brewery, and oh, it's them and them and so on. And actually, the thing that I used to really like about going into um, bottle shops, and I'm sure that this is applicable for people that are getting into craft beer, is that you discover all these new breweries you'd, you'd not heard of. Whereas now it's kind of like the elite few are in every bottle shop and then a yeah. brewery like bishop nick that i'd never heard of until you guys contacted me you know um i might not get to taste your beer and, and there's something really sad about that I, w I went to a bottle shop in whitby great little place um yeah. but i walked through the door the, f the first can i saw was a an abbeydale brewery i'm from sheffield with uh, abbeydale on i absolutely love abbeydale 
beers but you know first can I saw was like oh it's heathen you know I can get that from literally like a two minute walk down the road and then you know the, the, a lot of what was in there was like well I can find this elsewhere and I said to them you know apart from Whitby Brewery who again I think make good really good traditional beers like are there any other local breweries around here and she said oh you know the closest one was can't even remember it was you know further up the coast quite by quite yeah. a long way mm-hmm. um but you know, even even then, like, well, what about breweries in Newcastle or Middlesbrough or something? You know, is there something you could get from there? And it's, it's, I just find there's something sad about that, really. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I, I think it, perhaps it's almost you. You feel you have probably as a stockist, you have to have you know certain two or three brands just because they are sort of known. They are your sort of. You know, they're, they're easy sales. They're sort of just what people expect to find. And they might go in and, you know, they might be wanting to buy half a dozen, a dozen beers. And they know that, um, you know, if they buy four of those known brands, that's a safe buy. They know what they're getting. They've probably had it before, as you say. And then they experiment with a few others. And, um, you know, I, you know, everyone is generally a little bit conser- conservative in, in some respects, you know, um, because because you you don't want to end up sort of having a a box full of beers that you you don't like you know i mean it's i it's a bit like with these sub, sub, subscription services and things with the beers um you know it's it's nice to get um uh, you know an ex, you know a kind of different range every month or every two months but i hear a number of people that sort of go well you know three of them were frankly undrinkable in my, their opinion <laughs> yeah. and, you know and it and then they're sort of thinking oh you know i wish i you know i would have happily had you know three of something a bit more sort of trust trust i trust with i i i don't know but you're right i mean you know i mean it's um Ultimately, everyone should, um, you know, it'd be nice that every local shop supports their local brewery or, you know, gives a chance. I've got to say, you know, the shops in Essex, um, where we sell most of our stuff, they're, 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 they're very sort of supportive of us, you know, have been through with our Bottled Ale range. And, mm. and now Kansas sort of opened us up to, you know, into one or two other sort of craft beer bottle, uh, craft beer shops. Um, and, and then it's all about the design, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's... Um, it's not just um, having a, a good beer in a can these days. I mean, it seems to me that, that most of the craft beer breweries are sort of set up at least one of the um, founding partners is a graphic designer. Or a, or a, <laughs> Guil- or guilty as charged. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, all. And, and, this is, and this is their canvas to work on, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know... Uh, you know, you walk in now. There's, there's. I mean, it's extraordinary the, the the diversity of designs and things in cans now. People's different tastes. You know, the colours, the spectrum, everything. I mean, it's just anything goes. It's, it's yeah. Extraordinary. Well, I mean, it's become the new record sleeve, hasn't it? Um, yeah. You know, because like m- music's so digitised. I'm a musician as well. You know, so it's like um, it, it's so digitised. Uh, incidentally, I'm I'm putting a a song out tomorrow at the time this is oh, recorded and yeah. um you know it's so weird to kind of release something it's the first release i've done for years you know it's but it's really weird to be gearing up to releasing an album where i'm like there might not actually be a physical version of this and that yeah. that for me feels weird whereas like i think that's why brewing really appeals to me because as a, as a designer and a brewer and someone that is creative like mm-hmm. at the end of it i can physically hold some I've got something tangible, you know, like when it comes to something like music, it's like when you're downloading music off the internet, it's like what it's like having a bucket of steam, isn't it? Um, yeah. But whereas 
but yeah, with a beer, it's something you can taste and experience mm. and you can hold the can and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, just while we're talking about cans before I crack open, it is going to be this uh, tattooed, uh, the New Zealand yeah. hopped red yeah. ale. Um, I mean, just talk to us about that transition to can. Do you have a can in line? How, how did you find going into can? What were the, some of the sort of challenges moving into a different format and so on while I crack this open? Yeah. Um, well, we don't have a canning line. In right. fact, we don't have a bottling line either. We we, we outsource all right. of our bottling. Um, we use a company up in Cumbria, actually, Con, uh, Cumbria Contract Bottling, um, who, who do have a, a canning line right. as well. Um, yeah, I mean, one of our beers, uh, not not one of these, we we, we brew another, uh, I was talking about a beer called Marta a bit earlier, which is an American pale yeah. ale, but a slightly weaker one uh, compared to the cruise anyway, it's about five percent and we did put that into can for as a sort of experimental it was, it was just put into 330 mil can um and um so i sort of trusted and was happy with their sort of canning pro process but i mean i was very much sort of led by them as the packages i was sort of you know asking them to what sort of level of filtration and carbonation etc um because you know, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of the most canned beers tend to be sort of hazy by nature because yeah. they're not they're not filtered thoroughly. I mean, there's no point in, you know, we sort of learn there's no point in putting in loads of hops to give a great aromas and flavours to then sort of strip it all out by filtering it. And, uh, um, but they, they very much sort of guided us on that. And then when it came to canning these beers, again, I was very much sort of in discussion with them about... Um, sort of filtration levels, um, carbonation levels, et cetera. And, um, you know, they advised me that the lager should be probably fully filtered. We, you know, we went for a sort of, because if that's the style of beer we were after, sort of fully filtered and car- fully, car- you know, and carbonated slightly higher than than the um, than the other beers. Um, and you get a longer shelf life with it as a result. Yeah. But we were that sort of crisp taste. And the, and the other ones have all been sort of treated the same same way. Actually, it's sort of, say, it's sort of, um, I think it's five micron filtration and um, and and a lower carbonation, which reduces the shelf life, but they felt was a good balance between getting a, a reasonable shelf life to give yourself long enough to sell it in, but also not stripping out too much flavour and things. So, um, um yeah, you know, I, I very much sort of in their hands a little bit with it. But but again, you know, we were buying other beers and, and tasting them and sort of gauging the sort of carbonation levels and haze levels, etc. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, if, this uh, red ale's absolutely spot on. Um, yeah, I I love a good red ale. I don't I don't know about you, but I I um I always find them really hard to sell though. Like I um. So I, I brewed one. It was like a red rye IPA and, yeah. um, it, you know, it get really good feedback, but trying to, trying to sell it to pubs and to shops and stuff, you know, I just really struggled just cause it's, it's just cause, you know, a lot of people are put off by red ales, but yeah. I don't know why. Cause it's like, you know, it's, I mean, it's got the, you've got a real kind of like gooseberry kind of flavor coming from that Nelson mm-hmm. Sovin and then just the, um, the mold character, you know, it's, it, I love them. I think they're fantastic. Yeah. Well, my I say that my my brewer. I mean, he he's very much keen. On, he's very keen on his sort of red ales and things. So he he does enjoy and brewing with rye, which helps give give it that red red um, yep. hue. And um, and he's and he's always liked New Zealand hops. So um, it was kind of a perfect match for um, yeah. for him. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, you know, its bitterness level is a little higher than the some of the other beers, but um, you know, you you tend to get that sort of they're quite resinousy and sort of yes. you know big flavour the New Zealand hops and um, but um, you know, I think he's he's we managed to get a good balance um, balance with that one. And um, yeah, you're right, red ales do tend to be a little bit sort of marmitey actually. I yep. find you know, even even when before we brewed this, you know, we have had other red ales in bottles and things and. You know, people either go, oh yes, please, or no, thanks. You know, it's um, it, it does divide opinion. Um, but um, uh, yeah, we've I actually think the sales of the red ale in the can have been almost sort of as good as any of them actually. So um, uh, I think it's 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 done well, surprisingly well in, in some respects. But um, yeah, no, a lot of people have sort of looked at it and go, oh, New Zealand hot red ale, that sounds interesting. I, you know, uh, yeah, so. oh, it's uh, top marks with me. Really, really enjoyable. Um, you know, I've not had a good one for ages. Just coming back to using the uh, canning company, it, just for mm. any brewers out there listening, because there is a pressure to go into can these days. Um, what what should a brewer be considering when they're looking to outsource their um, their canning through contract canning? What what sort of considerations should they be making about how they um, basically package their beer in bulk? to be shipped off and, and, and choosing yeah. the right person and all that kind of thing. Well, I think it's, I think it's, um, it's doing your research really finding out a sort of packages that you kind of know and trust like anything really, because, um, I mean, to be honest, um, you know, I, we'd had a good sort of nine, no, probably nine, no, but about 12 months of using this company for, for bottling and, and done a small sort of can range for us as well. Um, so I trusted that they knew what they were doing with the beer and then they do can for a number of different breweries. Um, you know, they advised me on how to send the beer. We use Arlington tanks and uh, sort of the bag, you know, the yeah. sort of bags in, in the boxes, um, you know, and they said you've got to use a certain certain Arlington style that's thick enough to um you know to keep the beer for for sort of longer if it's going into cans and um and and it just helps keep keep it fresher and um and the aromas and things in there um i i you know i think uh, i mean you know we looked before at getting sort of mobile canners potentially to come and sort of can ours but um i sort of i i i just sort of steered away from from sort of having bringing sort of too much in i i i'd heard that there was a there was some variability in quality perhaps of some beers that have gone into certain cans and things i mean i think canning has improved i think the quality of the canning has improved um but um i've been very happy with them but it but it but it comes down to sort of volume as well i mean you know you they they generally are not going to sort of can less than sort of 800 litres probably of one beer at a time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you've got to work out how many cans of beer you're going to get back for that and um, and therefore are you going to shift them, sell them? It, you know, it's sort of all dependent. But, um, uh, you know, I mean, there are, I know of a number of sort of, you know, just craft beer, craft can beer brewers who have gone and bought their own packaging canning lines. And I suppose ultimately you will save money, but canning for us is only a small part of what we do and right. um, along with bottled beers as well you know but so I've I've avoided sort of bringing my own sort of packaging line and I'd rather I'd rather sort of hand it over to the experts you know they're running their plants sort of six days a week almost 24 hours a day you know they're processing so much sort of beer um, and they must be doing it well and correctly for them to yeah you know, 
on that sort of scale. So, yeah, I think the key is to is to find someone and, and spend time and, and really get to trust them, you know, because ultimately, you know, you're you're waving goodbye to your beer and then it's coming back all in a beautiful package format, but you've got to be confident that... Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I think a brewer is only as good as their packaging, really. Um, you know, it's, as I discovered with the, uh, the the foaming Keller beer, you know, it's it's mm. it's all great to have a, you know, and I've had this on a, a couple of occasions. I did a double IPA once, which was um, amazing in tank, but for reasons that I'm not going to go into um, on air, you know, it's, it, by the time it ended up in bottle, um, it wasn't so great. Mm. And... Um, you know, I mean, I blame myself for it. I, it was ultimately, it was my fault. Um, but, it, you know, it's like it, the packaging is how the beer is presented. You know, it's going to come through, it's got to be poured from a can or a bottle or come through a hand pull, you know. And um, yeah. Bells are ringing. Um, yeah, I mean, up until just before the pandemic, all of our bottled beer was bottle conditioned. Um, we we didn't do it ourselves. We sent it away to to, to a different packager, and um, uh, you know, and bottle conditioned beer by very nature, it, you know, it is it can be a little bit variable depending on yep. you know the temperature you're storing it at and a bit lively or not too lively, and. Um, and also, you know, from a commercial point of view, we were beginning to sell more. And when we, when the pandemic hit, suddenly all of our our trade to pubs went overnight, as you can imagine. Yeah. And we were looking at ourselves, thinking, "What the hell do we do?" We luckily had the website uh, in place. We did very, very little little sales through it. Um, but obviously, we we then realised it was our only way of selling beer. After that, and we were able to do that. And we literally sort of you know hit social media we had the website already there and people were able to buy it but people we were suddenly selling our you know our beers to to a much wider audience i suppose buying from us and um most of them just they don't understand what bottle conditioned beer was or is or how to store it how to sort of look after it how to pour it into the glass to know that there's some sediment there and all that sort of thing and we you know and and we switched just at the time over to a non non bottle condition sort of sterile filtered carbonated product. And uh, you know, I've got to say that you know we were we were a bit worried that we were going to lose some of the you know the flavours of the sort of nuances. Or but actually, we might have lost a little bit in some areas, but we gained a sort of a sort of a freshness, I think, actually, in the product that came was coming back for the sort of sterile you know that was being bottled by the by the um, contract company and and it certainly made life a damn sight easier you know, so <laughs> yeah and uh, not to the trade to the to the public you know we've gone to these pictures they kept sending me going like well i just wanted to let you know that your beer's got a few bits in it and um you know, just <laughs> yeah. better make you aware of that you know or you see people drinking out of a bottle and you know every time they turn it up they get a sort of glug of sort a of mouthful of yeast <laughs> yeah without well, they didn't know that um but um uh, you know, but you know, I say I think you know, bottle conditioned ales are are, are lovely. It can be lovely, but you you know you, you you do you do need to have confidence. The person buying them or drinking them, you know, knows what they're. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of education um, that has to go on for sure, and it, it comes back to what we were saying earlier about you know the the, the craft beer elite or the real ale elite or whatever whichever elite you know people people that are really yeah. into their beers and stuff you know they they know all this but mo most people out there don't um so you know because i've had this both with um you know with my brewery 
um, albeit it's very small these days, or the Sheffield Brewery Company, which is where I worked before, where we used to do pretty much exclusively bottled conditioning beers um, in terms of small pack. And other breweries that I work with where, you know, that that I'm, I'm you know, as their sort of extended marketing arm, I'm having to write blog posts about, um, bottle conditioned beers and how it should be stored and so on because the, you know similar experience to you you know the pandemic hit all of a sudden they go into bottles with their bottle, uh, bottle conditioned beers and sell those and all of a sudden yeah people are saying oh hang on a sec this is this is this is cloudy something's wrong with it yeah. <laughs> it's like no there's nothing wrong with that but um, no I, I know it, it is it, I, I think you know like well I suppose in any industry you work in you um, you end up sort of you know imagining everyone has the same amount of knowledge that you do yeah <laughs> And they don't, um, as you, if you pointed out, yeah. um, you know, I was always sort of brought up saying, you know, the best type of beer is beer, you know, you brewed a good beer when someone's, um, you know, ordered a pint of it in the pub and, um, and then, you know, before they know it, they've, they've got down to the bottom of the pint and it's empty and they're going, Oh, Oh gosh. Right. Okay. But I have another one. Um, you know, I've never been someone that, um, you know, sticks my nose in everything and smells and sniffs and swells it and tastes and, and sort of that. And I, I, and, or, <clears throat> or, or as light generally sort of too strong because, you know, I sort of find that ultimately, you know, beer is for consuming, um, in my opinion, sort of in reasonably largest quantities and sort of containers, you know, it, it, it's, um, um, and therefore, you know, for me, a beer has got to be something that you can, you can sort of drink quickly and easily without being kind of having your your taste buds blown away and your your, your throat sort of burning or your nose has gone in. You can then can't smell or taste anything else after that. Yeah, you know I mean? well, you know, it's like an accompaniment, isn't it, to uh, to a conversation rather than the start of the show. But again, I think it comes down to different beer, types of beer drinker, you know, um, because there are there are certainly times where I'm just kind of like I want I just want to go out and have some nice cast beers. I don't want them to slap me in the face or anything, and and it just to be the the accompaniment to the conversation. And then there are times I'll go out where, you know, with a, a certain mates, where I'll I want to sit down and analyze the beer I'm drinking, and and those beers serve different purposes for for different audiences and consumers. Um, just while while you're talking about the pandemic, because um, obviously you know it's it's unavoidable to talk about COVID and the impacts on on breweries like Bishop Nick. Um, other than the sort of the sales aspects, I mean, wh- how have you been affected? What what's been the hardest part for you of um, the last year and a half? Well, I, I mean, it was it it you know we went not so much sort of sales. I I, I think it's. Um, you know, we went from overnight. Um, well, I was sort of. It. We went from sort of probably about three percent, two to three percent of our business um, becoming ninety-five percent of our business, sort of overnight. It was just an, an immense sort of change, and suddenly, you know, we were surrounded by bottles and, and lattes and, ca- and cans, and um, and it and it was. You know the challenge has been sort of route planning. It's being like a courier. We deliver locally within within the county of Essex, and it's sort of getting to know where everyone's <laughs> housing estates and where they live, and dropping the beer and sort of regular order. It's just um, it, it's it. You know, it's just 
been a massive sort of challenge, but in a way it's been quite fun, I think. Um, you have, a lot of brewers were saying, you know, when in the height of the online sales, I suppose, back in April and May last year, um, thinking, gosh, is this, this, this could be the way forward, you know, this is going to be, is this the new normal? Because it's, it's great that people are uh, buying our beers from us direct, paying us before they've had them delivered. Whereas if you know dealing with the pub world you, you're lucky if you get paid sort of six to eight weeks after you've delivered the bit yep and even then they grudgingly give it to you and you say well hang on a minute you know unless that beer's gone out of date down your cellar you've sold it quite a few yep. weeks ago and you're claiming you're sort of look at me like i'm sort of you know fleecing you or something yeah, yeah um and so you know actually cash flow was better than it's ever been i think business-wise um um but you know we were yeah it was it was sort of a challenging a sort of administrative challenge certainly um i was very lucky i mean we 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 have a very small team but i didn't i didn't have to furlough anybody until january and february this year wow okay so in january and february i think were the quietest months of the whole year and it you know it was a combination of being january and february the 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 the, the lockdown again um and people just you know, there were no pubs and people obviously sort of get, you know, tend to sort of slow down, stroke, give up alcohol a bit in January and February. So they they were two tough months from a business point of view. But if I guess if we hadn't had those, then we wouldn't perhaps have been able to press ahead with our can range because the can range was planned. We were planning to do it in sort of April last year. And then when the pandemic hit, we just thought we actually, we don't need another sort of... Uh, another ongoing sort of challenge to go. And we, we, we had enough issues as it was. Um, so we sort of, we, we put it on ice and then we, we were able to bring it back this year because we simply, you know, we needed to keep brewing, uh, to keep the yeast going. We managed to do that. Um, and I said to the brewer, right, come on, let's, let's brew this can range of beers that we were going to look at. And we had the time and the sort of space to do it. So it gave us that opportunity to, to do that. Um, but I was really sort of pleased and proud. We you know we managed to keep going. We never, we, we use a live yeast culture. I did send, I, we did send it away to be sort of stored at the national yeast, um, yep. Bank, but um, thankfully we haven't had to call on it. We managed to keep going, um, so we managed to brew enough times just you know to keep it going. So, um, and now we're going back to pubs. We're in a sort of halfway sort of house now. Well, you know, pubs are back open, but they're not um, back open to the same way as they were prior to the whole pandemic. Um, people are still a bit nervous. Pubs are a little bit cautious still. Um, you know, we're finding that um, the guest ale. The guest ales on pubs are, are quite limited at the moment. Right. You know, most, most pubs are running a very sort of a, a reduced range of ales. Uh, for us, we, you know, we, we, we sell predominantly a lot to, 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 as a guest ale, if you like, the sort of third, fourth hand, hand pump on the bar. Um, we're not, there are not so many opportunities at the moment. Uh, where we've got our regular customers that buy from us, and we are effectively their sort of main beer, then they're, they're doing, they're doing well. Um, but uh, and the online sales have slowed a bit. But now the combination is obviously it, it's better. We're, we're we're back up and running. We you know we we've got a full team again going. And um, I I don't know. I, I sort of some one or two sm very small breweries seem to have, seem to have stopped. I think um, I think a few pubs will probably still continue to sort of close a little bit. But I get the sense that most of my sort of um, you know contemporaries locally to us are still there still going and probably will keep going and do so after 
hopefully this whole thing is over. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the industry's been very resilient and I've been really heartened to see, um, you know, pubs and bars local to me full of people. Um, again, yeah. obviously, you know, COVID's cure way and all that jazz, but it's, yeah. um, you know, it's, yeah, it, if you think back to what it was like when we first went into lockdown in March last year, it, it's it's quite hard to believe actually that a lot of pubs have reopened because I know I was quite worried that, you know, it was just going to wipe out breweries and pubs, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, the vast, uh, well, maybe not the vast majority, but a lot of. Yeah. Um, so, but now things are opening again. Yeah. What what are your hopes for the future? And how do you think your plans uh, as Bishop Nick have changed going forwards? Well, I, I, I'd like to think, um, as I say, we were very, very much sort of, um, you know, cask ale focused to pubs. Um, I would like to think going forward, that probably still will be the major lion's share of our volume. But by bringing out this canned range, by having the bottle range we do, by having a, we've spent money on our website and sort of, you know, promoting that. And there, I, I, I think... Um, Hopefully that the, the business won't be so sort of um, sort of heavily weighted into one particular area. You know, I think we realised or it showed that um, um, you know overnight for what for, I mean, it was a pretty a pretty extraordinary reason. But um, you know, as I say, that that you know ninety five percent of our trade was forced to shut overnight, um, and and we all had to sort of you know diversify or, or, or change and go in different different areas. I'd like to think that. The spread now will be a be not so as I say not so weighted into cast. We will continue to have more packaged products and and sell online. And I, I you know, I, I've always wanted to be kind of like a local champion, I suppose, for for Bishop Nick. Um, you know, I think that um, I don't have sort of aspirations to be appearing on the sort of main supermarket brand shelves just mm. because I, I kind of kind of know what they would require and what we'd have to become. And I'm not sure I want that. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'd like us to be, to be sort of recognized by, um, by, by, by sort of all beer drinkers, if you like, as, um, as a brewery that has something for them, um, you know, be it the more mainstream sort of, you know, good three or four pints of traditional beer or sort of craft beer, you know, world that want to, as you say, sit down and have something a bit unusual or talk about something and analyse it in more detail and, you know, flavour, you know, so you don't want to be a one-trick pony, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Normally to round the show off, I, I normally ask guests to say where they see the beer industry heading over the coming months and years, but obviously you're you're part of a long chain of brewing history. So I, I guess what I'd like to know from you is like, do, do you, what, what's that like for you personally? And, do you feel the pressure to keep it all going and then pass on the mantle to the next generation? Yeah, good question. <laughs> I've got three young boys about, you know, they're about sort of 10 years old and they do sort of like talk occasionally and say, oh, you know, well, you know, who's going to take on Bishop Nick when uh, they get older and something. Um, I I grew up, you know, from day one to, into this sort of long, you know, fairly long dynasty of, of my family brewing. You know, my father was the managing director, my grandfather, the chairman, his father before him, before him, etc. And I sort of assumed and thought that would be my role one day. And um, 
But, you know, as history proved, it actually, it, it, it wasn't. I was working mm. there, but it changed. And so, um, no, I always say I don't want to create a sort of a dynasty of, of Bishop Nick going forward. I mean, Bishop Nick is very much um, sort of my business for me because that's what I right. felt I wanted to do and was best that I was best suited for. That I don't want any of my children to feel obliged to to come into the business, should it still be going, you know, um, when they come to that sort of age. If they want to, then, you know, they've got to sort of, you know, genuinely want to, and, but, but have tried perhaps diff- in different things first. I, I don't really want to, because because I know that, you know, things can change for whatever reason very quickly, and I've sort of, I've learned that a hard way, I think, and, yep. um, and, and I wouldn't want... I wouldn't want to put pressure on them to feel that they need to do this. Yeah. Um, equally, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to create some. Yeah. So that's not my intention, really. It is very much sort mm. of. Um, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, was it was it hard for you when Green King basically bought bought Ridley's out? Yeah, yeah, it was exceptionally hard. It was a tough time. We had a, you know. Without going into the details, we had a bit of a family fallout, which still resonates resonates today. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, you know, I was I was kind of like I was sort of lost, directionless for a while. I did actually go and work for Green King for about sort of six months, uh, no, a little bit less than that, um, and and but left them because it just was so alien to me, you know, having sort of. You know, my the reason I was sort of working there because it was it was my family's business. I had that sort of family family sort of um, desire. Ethos, right? You know, that was why I was there. But you know, with Green King, you know, they they treated me perfectly well and, and everything. But I but I was just sort of one of a number. You know, we were there. There was I didn't have that the reason why I was in the business, which just wasn't there. So yeah, I I was I was lost for a bit. But um, I I got to say that. I surprised myself getting back. I never thought I would actually brew beer, but um, I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed getting hands-on, enjoyed making up the recipes. You know, I, I I was the main brewer. I now have another a, a, a head brewer who works for me, but when he's away, I'm doing the brewing still. Mm. And um, I've enjoyed it. And, um, and you know, it's, it's just great sort of being, I guess, in charge of your own sort of destiny and, um, and making something that people enjoy. You know, I mean, I took, took these beers off to some friends of mine um, just yesterday and they were all making great comments and, 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 and they didn't, and they didn't have to make them, you know, cause I was sat there, you know, cause they're, they're, they're probably my harshest critics at the rest of the time. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it, it's nice. And I, you know, I, I, you know, they say, well, brewing's in the blood. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, it certainly has felt right. And I think we've been, you know, doing things right. We've, you know, certainly camera have, have, have given us some nice awards over the years and sort of, so, you know, and they, they know their beers, don't they? So, um, yeah. Brill, well, mate, thank you for being on the show. Um, I've, I thoroughly enjoyed the beers that I've had and right. she'll um, certainly be polishing the other ones off uh, fairly soon. Um, so h- how can people find them and, and try them for themselves? Well, the best way really is to, is to go on onto our shop online, which is uh, bishopnick.com, um, where you'll find all of our beers listed, the, the canned range are there. Um, and um, you can buy mixed cases or single variety cases. And, um, and it's, 
it's free free national delivery f- over a I think it's a 55 spend. Um, and if you live more locally within Essex, then it's free delivery uh, for over 30 pounds. So, um, you know, it's a, it's um, certainly on the delivery side, it's a sort of good offer. So, um, yeah, and you'll find out a lot more information about the beers and the brewery and the history there. So, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks, Nick. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.